The Let's Grab a Cup podcast is brought to you by Sturgeon Wellness. At Sturgeon Wellness, I provide leadership coaching and resiliency building. Right now, we're offering a two-for-one special if you sign up by the end of February for that intro session. So I hope to see you there, and let's grab a cup together. Today on Let's Grab a Cup, um, I sit down with my friend PJ, and uh, PJ is a uh, police sergeant within the police department, and he spent most of his time in patrol doing uh, field training. And he spent a lot of time in the gang enforcement team where he really just put his effort into just really stopping criminal activity. That was his goal. He wanted to make a difference. And PJ's story is really powerful because he had to do what any parent's worst nightmare would be in the loss of his child while navigating his duties and responsibilities at work. And even PJ, you know, he's talked about how he wished he would have done things differently and I think that anybody who's gone through tragedy or who has had a hard time and the way they navigate it, I think PJ's story really would resonate with you. And the fact that we all deal with with life differently and it's how we overcome these challenges and work through them as human beings that makes who we are today. And I think PJ really is the epitome of a great leader and you'll see that in, in all of his words today. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And yeah, let's get this started. Welcome to Let's Grab a Cup podcast. This is where we talk about leadership, authenticity, resiliency. We provide a place to hold space for one another. I'm your host, Adam Sturgeon. So why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever suits you at this moment. Let's dive in. All right, welcome to Let's Grab a Cup podcast. My name is Adam Sturgeon. I'm your host. Today I'll be talking to my friend PJ. His full name is Patrick Joseph Lyon. That's Lyon, L-Y-O-N, not like the animal, but he is kind of like a lion over here. Yeah. <laughs> so, P- so PJ has 22 years of police experience with a uh, municipal department in Southern California. He started his career 22 years ago. He was an FTO. He spent about a total of about eight years on patrol. He went to the community policing uh, through the gang field team and worked his way to um, a filing officer for the gang team. And back going back to patrol after that, he then be promoted to sergeant a year ago, and now he's a sergeant in the field, right? Yep. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. So, Patrick Joseph, yeah. first question why, when did PJ start? Was that like a high school thing or younger? It, it was younger. It was rough, actually, because it started with, uh, I didn't want to be Patrick because it was too formal. It was way too formal. And then it got into uh, peanut butter and jelly. And then, you know, and it just, the nickname started to go, stuff like that. But I thought Patrick was a lot formal, so I was like, mm, let's, let's narrow that down. I didn't like Pat. I didn't like Patrick, none of that, so... I went with PJ, and it's stuck ever since. My mom calls me PJ. That's funny. Oh, we talked about this. My middle name is Patrick. Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't stand it growing up. Like, Patrick, I don't know mm-hmm. why. There's nothing wrong with the name, but I just, I felt like it maybe I was it's formal. way too formal. Yeah. Way too formal. No, no, no offense to all the Patricks out there. Yeah. So. And, and Patricias. <laughs> That's right. So, PJ, so mm-hmm. I know you came on, and after hearing the podcast, and we talked about it a little bit, you were interested in coming on and kind of mm-hmm. telling your story. Um, let's start, you know, kind of where you grew up and how you got to the point of becoming a police officer. Yeah. So I grew up locally. I grew up in Cerritos, went to Artesia high school and then, uh, played football and my junior year, I was actually getting recruited really, really big by colleges. And then my junior year, I uh, tore my ACL. So I was like, Oh, back then it was like a major surgery where they had to open you up. So the colleges shied away from me. So I ended up going to Cerritos college. And I took my first criminal justice class there. It was one of those things where you're a football player, and they're like, hey, this is the easy A. But then I took it, and I really liked it. I, I thought it was something I, I would be interested in. So I got a, a AS degree in uh, administration of justice from Cerritos College. Okay. And then I transferred, went to Long Beach State, joined their criminal justice program, got all the way to my senior year, 20 credits shy of getting a bachelor's, and then decided to apply for our police department what year, what year was that? That was in uh, 99. Wow. And did you go back and finish? I didn't. 20 credits. Yeah. You, you know. have to have those credits by now with all the training. With all the training we do. But I don't know how to count. I, maybe I should look into that. I'm sure there's a way that they can count it. 
Yeah. I feel like you can get those credits back. Yeah. Especially um, if it's like, it means more pay, right? I mean, why not? Yeah. yeah exactly. The bachelor's degree? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So Cerritos College, okay. Artesia High School, you played football. Yeah. You tore your ACL when you were how old? Uh, junior. <laughs> what's ironic about it is I tore my ACL my junior year of uh, high school, and my daughter tore her ACL and MCL her junior year of high school. What? Yeah, so it was kind of like one of those things where I went through it, and now I could tell her, hey, I did the same thing, and look at me, I'm okay. So what it, I, I've never torn an ACL, but mm-hmm. I know like a lot of uh, athletes do. So what, mm-hmm. is, what does that entail? So basically, I was a, a lineman. I was big just like I am now. I was actually 20 pounds heavier than I am now oh. when I played high school football. And I was blocking somebody, and a defensive lineman rolled up on my, uh, on my knee, and I just tore it. I just heard a pop. And uh, that's why when my daughter heard her knee, I knew exactly what it was because I heard the same pop that happened to me. So are you are you done after that? Like when you tore your ACL, are yeah. you basically done? So football? back then, the surgery was major. You wouldn't come back from it. So I didn't get the surgery. I elected not to and just kind of rehab the areas around it. And then I was actually okay. I played football at Cerritos College, actually. Oh, okay. I just wasn't as good. I think I was. <laughs> I think it was one of those things where I was scared to get hurt after being hurt. Yeah, and I just kind of pushed out after that and didn't want to do it. So pulled pulled the punches. Yeah, yeah. I was like, ah, never mind. I'll, I'd rather do this criminal justice thing. And I was kind of in the security business already because uh, I worked for a company called Staff Pro, and I was a bouncer in Hollywood as well. I kind of forgot you did the Staff Pro. I don't yeah, know why. I know yeah. you do it, but I forgot. For yeah. Me. So I started off. Actually, man, I was actually making pretty good money. I was a manager for Staff Pro. I ran Irvine Meadows that the, back in the old days. Really? Yeah, my, my friend, my best friend, Tushan and Victor, we all joined Staff Pro together. Tushan's now the vice president of the company. So, um, uh, but yeah, we ran Irvine Meadows, the pond, the old form when the Lakers played there, uh, worked that. Um, and then I was a bouncer at the Whiskey A Go-Go down in down. Oh, really? Yeah, in the Hollywood. And then also the Roxy and the Troubadour. So that's kind of where I learned how to fight and stuff like that and protect myself. Just bouncing people out? Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. Um, so that's what kind of got me into uh, doing the criminal justice thing. And then it went from there. I mean, went to the academy, um, met my, my now ex-wife um, through Staff Pro. And then um, we had a baby in uh, 2001. That was my first daughter, Ileana. And I'm sure we'll dive into her. Um, Kind of right off the bat, and it was one of those things, I don't know, and that's why I see young officers today, they kind of jump into relationships so quick. They end up with, like, a girlfriend, and then they get this long career, and they think, oh, this is it. I have to, like, set everything up from here. And I did that, and it was a mistake. I got married too soon, had a kid too soon, um, did all that stuff just because I thought, oh, now I'm a police officer. I, you know, I'm making real money. I have a retirement. Right. And now it's time to do that, even though I was with the wrong person. So... I My, see that all the time now. It's very similar you say that because I was very young um, in my relationship. Same thing. Early, got in the police department, uh, met my wife, and got married. And obviously, we've had our ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And it was probably because we didn't know who we were. We were too young to really yeah. know how to communicate and build those build that relationship. And a lot of the guys, I think I'm the same way, like, tell these gun guys, like, hey, I'm not saying that she's not the one, but I'm like, hey, take some time. Like, yes. figure out what you're doing before you just jump into yeah. this stuff. And, yeah. then, and then I see these young officers that are like taking trips all over, and I'm like, that's what I should have done. I'm like so envious of them. I'm like, oh, man, these guys are they're traveling. They're going to Europe. They're traveling to the world. I'm like, it's tough if I get out of Southern California, you know. So, yeah. Um, but definitely, you know, when we had our, our daughter, our first daughter, um, you know, it, was, it started off, and then, you know, uh, we took her home, and about a week into having her home, we noticed uh, little spots on her skin, right? And we're like, oh, that's kind of odd. And then she was really, a, you know what jaundice is? Like, she was yellow. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So uh, we were like, oh, that's kind of that's odd, too. And then about a week later, she turned blue, and we had to take her to the hospital. It was still a week, a week into having taking her baby home. So we take her to the hospital. She's in the hospital for two weeks. They're running all kinds of tests on her. And um, they come back to us, and they tell her, Okay, we're going to show you these pictures, and they they show us a, a a picture of a normal brain, and it's kind of like a CT scan. And I see it; it's like you can see the brain is gray, and then they show my daughter's brain, and there's white spots all over it. And they tell us, 
they tell us uh, she has what's called tuberous sclerosis. And basically, she has hundreds of uh, tumors in her brain. Jeez. She has some in her brain. She has, uh, I think, one in her lung. That's why she turned blue. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm thinking all of a sudden cancer, right? And they're, no, they're, they're called benign tumors, which means they're not cancerous. They're just there. My first reaction was, well, let's get them out of her. Right, right. And they told us, well, that would be too much damage. And the way they explained it to me was, you have brain currents that go, that electrics, electricity that goes through your brain. And these tumors cause disruptions in the electricity. And that causes her to have seizures. So it's called tuberous sclerosis okay. is what she had. And um, it's, a, it's a seizure disorder. So at the beginning, she was having two to 300 seizures a day, which was insanely difficult for us um, having a small baby. Um, the guilt that we had, my, my ex-wife, um, she already, I knew about her depression problems before I, before I married her, but she all of a sudden went into this like deep depression. She blamed herself, said that she had these issues maybe while she thought maybe she did something wrong during the pregnancy that caused right. this. You go through all those type of things. So we had to deal with that. And luckily we saw a, a genealogist, which basically said, Hey, um, no, it's not because of that. It's a spontaneous mutation of the genes that caused it. It wasn't anything that you did wrong. So um, we, she had that, and um, it was bad at the beginning. I remember uh, there was this time where the doctor was like, hey, she's, she's got it. They told us she wasn't going to live uh, into her 20s, that she would probably live into her teens or late teens at the best, um, which ends up being true, and we'll talk about that. Right. Uh, but... Um, she ends up uh, about two months later. She ends up like kind of no, a little bit later. She ends up sitting up and she ends up having what's called drop seizures, where she has to wear a helmet because she basically be in the sit up position and then she just boom drop down and bang her head off of the ground. And we're like, oh my god! Okay, how, is... how old is she at this point? Whenever she could start sitting up, I would say almost maybe like a year, almost somewhere around there. So, Brant, like. So I'm, just, I'm trying to get a timeline here. It's like two weeks she goes to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then how many? When, how old is she when she's having like 200 to 300 seizures a day? The whole time. This whole time. The whole, the whole time. She gets, she's having about two to 300 seizures until she's about two years old. Uh, when she's two years old, the doctors, and thank God we all have good insurance being police officers. She had a, I think it was like a $100,000 surgery Jeez. that was called uh, a vagus nerve stimulator. So what that is, is it's like a little, uh, goes just underneath your, uh, your skin and it has a little battery inside of it and two wires come around and it wraps around your vagus nerve and it gives a five, every five seconds, it gives an electrical shock, which helps out with those disruptions I was talking about. So there's the electrical flow in the brain right? and then that gives a shock and it replaces, it replaces the emptiness that's happening when it's getting disrupted by the tumors. So does that stop the seizure? It didn't stop them, but it got her to about 20 a day. So we went from, it was like a miracle. She, it went from 200 a day to like 20 a day. But 20 a day is still a lot oh, of seizures. Yeah. yeah, I think my daughter, when she was one, she had one seizure and we were freaked out. So I can yeah. imagine that 200, yeah. let alone 20 a day. What is, and then she was a baby. So I don't know, like, what is the seizure? I don't know if it's the same. So what does the seizure look like? And she that had, and age. that's the other thing. She had every seizure you could possibly imagine, because it caught it because she had so many in her brain. It depends on which part of the brain it is, the kind of seizure you had. She had focal seizures. She had what's called drop seizures. She had grand mal seizures. Those are the ones where uh, they kind of tighten their whole body and they do kind of like a, a like a long like like their whole body tightens up and they just do this long like pause and do like a seizure and then she got the full-on seizures that you normally see people have where they, they they're hopping around the ground and stuff like that. so she had all different kinds of seizures how long did they last um and that's another thing it, it depended on what part of the brain it was affecting and we knew that the ones that where she turns blue had to do with the, tum the tumor that she had in her in her lung she had one in her lung and that was the one that they were most concerned with from the beginning was the one in her lung because that one was so big did they, I, I'm like, I don't know any of this part. So did they do surgery on her lungs at all or for no, that one or not even no, that they, one at all? They, they, everything they told us about surgery was every, if they removed any part of the tumors, that it was removing part of the brain or it was removing part of the lung 
and that would be do more damage in the long run. So the best way that they treated it was to treat the symptoms, and and um, and that meant seizure medication. Which, if you know anybody where you the cities that we work in, you stop transients or homeless people. They're taking all kinds of medication. I was starting to see stopping transients. My daughter was taking the same medication. We're talking phenobarbital at, at like two, three years old. Jeez. Phenobarbital, heavy, heavy seizure medications. And ultimately, when she got into like her 10s and 12s, she ended up showing the same behavioral problems that homeless people have. She was bipolar. She had ups and downs. Um, it, uh, I mean, we, it got to the point where she's nonverbal, first of all. It, show, it makes her extremely behind. So my daughter was like in her teens she probably had the mental capability of like a two-year-old without verbal, non-verbal the whole time. So that, that, does that mean that she has a caretaker or how does that work? Or No, that's, that's the other thing is um, my uh, ex-wife and I end up getting divorced about five years into it. I had about five years on. We even got a divorce. Um, we kind of came up with a pack between the two of us where she was going to devote her life to my sick daughter and I know this is going to sound weird, but she lived with me. My ex-wife lived with me. I paid child support and everything. And she took care of my disabled daughter. And I went along said, hey, financially, I'm going to be here to support you and my other, my other daughters. Um, and that was my job. Um, now that I look back at it, and, um, I would say that that was a mistake because I almost turned my back to my own, uh, my own daughter in a, in a way because I wasn't part of that part of taking care of her as much as I could have been. Um, <clears throat> I would say that I put a lot of effort into work and that's what made me do all these things that you talked about when right. we went into the intro. I think I had told you before, um, it was one of those things where I would rather be at work and I'd rather be taking bad guys to jail and I, I'd rather take the overtime. I'd rather, um, I just, I focused everything at work. I would ignore phone calls that came to me even though my daughter was sick and I turned my back. Of course I'd be there if she went to the hospital, things like that. But uh, all that pressure went on to my, my now ex-wife uh, and she took care of all that. And then my job was to take care of my other daughter, my healthy daughter, which she was born in 2004. So I kind of like shifted and took care of her, took care of work and kind of almost turned my back on my disabled daughter. And that was tough for me. I took me a while to, to feel guilty about it. I still feel guilty about it to this day. Um, and that's kind of, I see these other officers, they go through things and, and um, they're young officers. And it makes me think like, this job is a job, like take care of your family first because I miss that part of it. And I miss doing that part with my daughter. Right. Yeah. Um, so I began, I'm like in feeling like, and I can see you getting choked up and no, yeah, I know, no, yeah. I know. And, and yeah. it's, it's a tough, so you have a lot of stuff going on at this time in your life. You have a brand new daughter. She has all these medical issues, and you're trying to figure out who's, who's going to take care of her. Clearly, there's something going on with you and your ex-wife where yeah. it's causing a divorce, and now you're trying to figure out what to do. So I could see, like, the stress probably, like, just building up. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I, like, going back to your daughter, when she was now – what you say five years. So you're saying like she was only like five years old when you guys got divorced. She was, yeah, she was about five years old. And the seizures at this point are about 20 a day still. They're about, they're down to about 20 a day. Um, and so are these like sporadic just randomly throughout the yeah, day? Throughout or? the day, a lot in the morning when you first wake up, cause your brain's kind of stimulated at that point. Right. And then again at night before she went to bed and she's, you said she's nonverbal. So she doesn't, how does she communicate? Um, or how do you communicate? I guess how do you? How I do mean, you she had like her? we used to joke that she had her own language, kind of. She would like mumble certain things, and then we'd know, oh, she's hungry, or she wants this, she wants that. So she could say SpongeBob, and she could say, say uh, Mom and Dad. That was about it, really. Yeah. And CC for her sister. So and her sister's younger, like a few years younger. Yeah, a few years younger. Yeah. How did that? How did that work with the younger daughter? Like, is she? Did she? take any like response like try to take responsibility roles or did, was she in that or she no? did it, it's 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 um she my younger daughter's great by the way she is she's a wonderful wonderful sister to her there was one time where um this was this was a crazy moment i was uh we had a pool at our old house and um i was in the kitchen and my daughters were out in the backyard my 
daughter that's disabled, she didn't know how to swim. She uh, she was always hung out like in the in the little kiddie pool part. She never went to the deep end, but she was playing and she ended up having a seizure and she fell into the deep end. And I I, I didn't really see it. All I saw heard was my other daughter dive into the pool, right? And my daughter and I look, I run outside and my my daughter jumps into the pool and pulls my other daughter out of the pool. How old was she? She was probably 12 at the time. And I was like, uh, that was amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah I saved, saved her life basically. And I was like, to this day, I was like, that's my, that's my other daughter. That's just how Kayla is. She's just, she's very caring, caring girl. And after that moment, I was like, okay, she's going to be special. You know? So, and she is, she's a special girl. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I like to see like sparkle. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I know I have two girls myself, so it's like definitely I understand that feeling of like oh, yeah. the connection to your kids. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So you talk about diving into work and yeah, you, like you said before, like you have this, you know, really like pretty good history at work. I, I would say like you're, you're like a hard worker. You're well known around the department. Uh, people definitely respect you for the job that you do every day. And that's because like you said, you don't, you dove into work really like what you said. Um, so how did it go? Like you're talking about like your career, like how did you, you know, navigate the career while also doing this, um, with your, your ex-wife and your daughter? Yeah. It's almost like a black and white situation where you, <laughs> and I, 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 I guess it seems to where like everyone that does well at things, they always have this bad side or this other, this other thing going on. You look at like Michael Jackson, right? He did all these great things. And then he had this other part of him that, you know, he was messing with little kids and stuff like that. Or like Britney Spears, you see her, right? She had this great career, but then she had this other thing with drugs. It was one of these things where I felt that it was a chance for me to, uh, to be someone else. I was having these issues at home with my daughter and I didn't have any of that at work. You know, I, I fortunately, uh, did these things throughout my career, and I didn't have any of those bumps at work at all. <laughs> and that's odd to say because throughout my 22 years, you would think that I would get denied for stuff and 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 have all these problems in the road, and I didn't have any of those problems at work. And I think it was because um, I, I separated them a lot. And um, if I had to tell anybody, I think that was the wrong way of doing it, to be honest. Um, I think that I should have probably talked to a lot of the guys at work about it. There's not a lot of people at work that know my story. A couple of my classmates might know about it, but uh, yeah, if I would have had more people to talk to, it wasn't until the end when my friends started to say that, hey man, you need to like take care of your home life a little bit. And people, my friends started to step in and some of my coworkers, some dispatchers too, um, they talked to me a little bit and they were like, hey, you should probably take care of home a little bit. And I was like, you're probably right. That's what kind of turned it around for me personally. So, and when was this? This was, um, I would say, it was one of the driving factors of me leaving when I came back when I left uh, the gang unit and went back to patrol. It was right around that time. I was a lot more happier to be back in patrol. Oh, really? Yeah, I spent a lot more time with the family then. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more so when my uh, daughter passed away, that was a rough time, and uh, and. Um, so basically one night she was about 17 years old. So this was, when was this? about four years ago, somewhere around there. No, not that long ago. She, uh, I get called uh, by my ex-wife. Um, she was still living with me at that time. How um, many years is this? Does she live with you? Um, 17 years, uh, somewhere around there, 16 years. Wow. Yeah. I, I went through living with my ex-wife that I never get along with. For 16 years, just for, so she could take care of my, my sick daughter. So right. she comes to me and she's like, Ileana's not breathing. And I come in and I see my daughter and she's not breathing. Um, you know, it's it makes you think when you go to work, you see people not breathing all the time. You go up there, they're either dead right there or they're shot or they're hurt. Right. And we're supposed to render aid to them or we do render aid to them as best of our, to the best of our ability. But when you're sitting there and you're seeing your own daughter, you're like, oh, oh, crap. That's my daughter right there. I jumped into police mode. I was like, call 911. Almost like, the like, hey, you call 911. I told my ex-wife, call 911. I looked down. I checked her ABCs. She wasn't breathing. She didn't have a pulse. So I started CPR. 
And the only thing I could think was two things was number one, they freaking change the freaking compressions to freaking breaths every single time I go to AOTC. So I have no idea how many I'm supposed to be doing. And two, this is my daughter. Am I pressing too hard? Am I going to break her ribs? Oh, yeah. The entire time. So I'm giving CPR. I end up actually getting a pulse on her probably three minutes into it. Um, Fire shows up. They're like, hey, you did a great job. You got her, blah, blah, blah. Took her to the hospital. She spent maybe two weeks in the hospital and uh, never gained consciousness again. And then we ended up pulling the plug on her. And um, then she ended up passing away. She was how old? She was 17 at the time. Yeah. And that was tough. And I think I told you about it before. It was, it's not to say it was a burden on my life, but everything that we had gone through all the way up to that point, she was in tremendous pain that entire time. And it was almost one of those things where what made me get over it was she didn't have to feel that pain. So that was the best. That was what helped me get through it. It's like she's in a better place. She's no longer in pain and she's no longer suffering, no longer having 20 seizures a day. She's no longer having to take medication. She's, she doesn't have to do any of that anymore. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was the part that helped me get through it. Otherwise, oh, I was a mess. Yeah. I was a mess at the beginning until I finally figured that part out. It took me a while to figure that out, too, about a year. To figure that part yeah. out. I think it's just, it's a different mindset. You can't, like, I think we talk about that a lot with, like, our parents or our grandparents when they get older and they're having a lot of these issues. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, they've, they don't, they're not in pain anymore. And you can kind of, like, and they're older and the older generation, you kind of accept it because it's the, like, the circle of life kind of thing. But you're never supposed to bury your child. Bury your child. No, and no. So to oh, wrap your head around that, I mean, I don't even know if yeah. I, I could wrap my head around that. There's only, certain people that are in your shoes that had to do yeah. that. And I don't even know what I would, ha- what I would be thinking, how long that would take. Yeah. And this is only four years ago. Yeah. And, and, and this is the part where we talk about like our department that we work for. I will, I will say that they, it, there was, I had a positive, I know that <clears throat> a lot of people, we talk about uh, how the departments are uh, dealing with stressful situations. Uh, our, our department has had that these, this, these type of situations where officers have, committed suicide, things like that. Right. Um, but I had a positive uh, experience from our department. Um, uh, the police officers association that we deal with paid for my daughter's funeral through the Widows and Orphans Fund. Um, the entire command staff came to my daughter's funeral and they each came up to me personally and, and uh, had their condolences for me. So, uh, once again, I don't know if that's the relationships that I built throughout my career, the respect right. that I built throughout my career, but all the chiefs came and uh, they were positive at that point. Now, do I think that things could have been done on our on our department before that? I think that I had to be willing to to reach out for those, and I wasn't. Right. But um, there was nothing before that with my daughter's sickness before that that I felt that I was comfortable enough or our department offered enough for us, for me to be part of. Right. They helped afterwards 110% and I appreciate them for that. But uh, the steps getting up to that point, I kind of had to do it on my own. So I have a couple of things. So I, mm-hmm. first one is like, that's, that's really amazing that the, not only the department, but the association stepped up and really helped mm-hmm. you out in the yeah. end. Um, I know you wanted to give them like kudos for that. Cause yeah. that's, I know you really appreciated that. Um, do you feel like you kind of mentioned it, do you feel that would have been different if you didn't have that level of respect for all of the stuff you had already done because for the department, like because you were, you are, you were, you are very well respected on a department. So it's not something that, so if you say your name to anybody on the department, they know who you are. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it's like, Oh, who's that person? So do you feel like that had something to do with in the relationships you said you built with these? I hope, I hope that's not the point. You know, part of me feels like that might've been part of it because with the command staff came up to me, I knew them all. Right. Right. And they all knew me. So, um, I'm hoping that's not, the, that's not, I mean, just in my case, that's what just happened right. to be. So, um, but, um, I think that we're making the, the strides towards that, but I, I, I just don't know if <clears throat> there's gotta be both sides have to have to give into it. Like I'm sure that there was programs for me to, to, to go through during the process. 
but <laughs> like I wasn't willing to do any of that. We're police officers, right? right? We're like, we got this bravado where do I really need to talk to somebody about that? Do I really need to sit down and have a cup with Adam and talk about it? You know, um, I wish I would have had that. It would have helped me through the process, but I didn't have any of that. I had to figure it out on my own. So, so that would be the second part of my question. Mm-hmm. So in, so you said like, obviously we have to do more leg work if you want, or at least back before, we have to do a lot more legwork to find the resources. Yeah. Um, I know that they put out a lot of resources these days as far as, like, getting counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of departments have peer support, and I know ours is trying to revamp that. As far as, like, what can we offer people where we put it out there? Um, and you said you kind of had to, like, step up on your own. Yeah. So is there anything you can think of that, I mean, I w- I'm the same way. I mean, I, at least I was the same way where I wouldn't – Honestly, I didn't ask anyone for help. You know, yeah. if I was feeling like, you know, like crap one day, I would never ask somebody for, for help. Someone be, some people would ask, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. But people, I was not seeking it out. Yeah. So is there something else that you think that you think that there could be specifically? Because I don't really, I, we're still trying to figure this out. I, I think that making those personal relationships to, for us, for the, for our peers, number one, and then people that work for us and around us is not just you know, being so, they we're coming to work, we're going to do our job, blah, blah, blah. It's actually, hey, what, what are you doing right now? Let's go, let's go over here, let's have a chat. And it's nothing bad or anything. It's like, how's the life? How's, how's the wife? How are the kids? Yeah. And that could be that one opportunity where you reached out to that person and they're able to tell you exactly what's going on. Yeah. And, oh, my kid's doing great. They're playing softball. They're doing playing baseball. And you could get to know them. Hey, maybe we should, I could love to go out and catch a game and things like that. There wasn't a lot of that. I, I, I don't know if it was because, I mean, it was a lot of, hey, let's grab a beer. Let's grab a drink. And when we did that, it was just worried about having a, having a cocktail on this. And that wasn't, we were talking about feelings. We weren't talking right. about family and stuff like that. Yeah. So. And I know that's something I've been trying to like push as far as like the idea of like taking time for each other. Mm-hmm. And even like I knew, like I knew about your daughter passing, but I didn't know all of this, all of this background until we actually like sat down and like talked one day yeah. and like actually got into it. So I think that like going over it with somebody, it doesn't have to be like a, like a big ordeal, but just like you said, have some time to talk about it. And I don't know, I feel like it's, even if it's not therapy, it's, I feel it's therapeutic just even talking about different things, even like, cause you, you yeah. hear what's in your head and you're like, yeah, this is where I could have done something better. Or maybe I can teach somebody something that they can learn from what I went through. Yeah, definitely. A hundred, a hundred percent. And, and I, when I, when I was at FTO uh, the second time through the FTO program, I kind of took that approach with my trainees. I got <clears throat> pretty close to a lot of them, like like mentally and just on a relationship pattern as far as work is concerned. I, I dove into their life. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Are you married? I used to never do that. When I was first FTO, I was, you know, didn't know that stuff. But then I was like, what's going on at home? Do you have kids? You know, And then um, I got to know them a little bit better. Right. Um, and... And it helped them because I noticed that when they went through the stresses of it, if they had something else going on at home, a lot of it had to do with that too. Uh, oh yeah, I think ninety nine percent of what we deal with at home is is going to be the stressor that we're pulling into work. You oh, know? definitely one hundred percent. And um, and it makes me think about because I worked with a lot of the officers that uh, that hurt themselves in our department that ended up passing away, and it makes me think. I knew all of them. I worked with hand in hand with Goot, hand in hand with Chris, hand in hand with, um, with Sarge, uh, you know, like those were, that was my team, you know, and I feel like I saw them, we talked to them, they always had a smile on their face, but did I really talk to them? It was just like, hey, what's up, how you doing? It wasn't right. really like get down and have a really conversation with them, and you feel a little guilty about that. One of the things that made me come on to your, come on to your show was that when you first had talked about how when something bad happens, we shoot that text message of condolences. Like, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Like, that's, and it made me think about how many times people told me that when my daughter passed away. But am I really going to reach out to those people? Probably not. It's going to take the ones that come over to my house and force me to go out and drag my ass out of bed where I've been sleeping there for two days or right. it took my friends to come up to me and be like, no, you're going with us right now. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. You're going to take your mind off of it, this and that. 
versus just shooting the text message of, hey, are you okay? That made, and you, <laughs> you talked about it, and it made me think about how much we do that. We, we shoot that text message, it makes us feel better. Like, hey, I reached out to him, I'm okay. Right. No, no harm, right? Uh, but did we really do enough? You know, and I think that if we see somebody struggling or somebody having showing signs of that, I think that we should reach out to them because then you never know it's going to be too late at that point. You know, yeah. because I, because there was parts when my daughter passed away where I think I told you this before. I seriously was in a bad place. I mean, I was drinking. I was going out. That's how I dealt with it. I went out and with my friends and partied it up and and went bad. Went 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 went, went I gambled. I gambled a lot. I did a lot of these bad things. And um, it was finally my friends that went to me and was like, hey, you need to, like, tone it down a little bit. You need to think about yourself. And um, I think a lot of that has to do with me meeting my fiancé. And she is the you, light. When you met your, your fiancé? My, my fiancé now. Okay. I have a fiancé now. And uh, she's great. And um, she's somebody that I could we, – we just – the other – it was like two weeks ago – we have a fire pit in her backyard, and we usually come home, we watch TV, watch our shows together, this and that. But, no, she was like, hey, grab a bottle of wine, let's go out by the fire. And we just sat there and talked. And that was probably one of the greatest times we've had as, as a couple, to just sit in front of a fire with some wine, and we talked for hours, cried a little bit. Uh, we, were just, we just spilled each other's guys. To have that type of relationship where you have a best friend right. that you could talk to means a lot. You know, Whoever that is, if it's your fiancé, if it actually is your best friend, but it was cool to have that, that's, and, and, that's really and cool. I'm glad I've had her for that. So, when did you meet her? I met her about three years ago. It was like about a year after my daughter passed away, and that's why I told you it was, she made it a lot easier for that whole process to go through. So she was she has a huge part of that, and her family's great. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I know, like the difference of just being able to say, "Hey, we're not going to just sit in front of the TV. We're actually going to spend time mm -hmm. talking and really diving into stuff." And yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad you're able to find yeah. that. Yeah, and that was that was a big part of it. That was definitely a big part of it. So yeah. you had two daughters. Yes, two, two. Yeah, my I have my daughter now. She is um, a senior in high school. That's that's another thing. <laughs> diving into those, you know, she's going to go off to college. Uh, she's going to play softball. She's got a little bit of a, a chance to play Division One softball at a really really good private school. So that's cool. Proud of her about that and. It was tough for her, man, to go to lose your sister. Man, that was the part that kind of, because I dealt with my daughter and her softball for the longest time. But um, seeing her have to deal with burying her own sister, you know, was was tough. And I, and I, I worried a lot about her. Uh, but uh, she kind of did what I did. She put all of her effort into softball, where I kind of put all my effort into work. Right. And she got through it. You know, so I'm proud of her for that. I'm not sure if it was the best thing for her to do. Um, I supported her 110% throughout the whole thing. I was probably a little rough on her at times, but I've learned to kind of uh, back off of that. It was interesting. We had this discussion the other day. My daughter has never brought home like a boy, girl, or anything like like somebody like relationship like brought somebody right, to right, the right, house. Yeah. She's 17 years old, but never brought anybody. So I was talking to my fiance about it, and she's like. She's like, you know, like maybe she's scared, like to bring your big guy, your police officer, and this and that, like, and I, and society, you know, has taught us, you know, she's probably scared to bring somebody home, boy or girl or whatever, and she probably doesn't even know that you're okay with either one of those, right? And I was like, I've never had that discussion with her, talk with her, so I actually had that talk with my oh, daughter. Oh, did you? Oh, totally. Oh, I said, hey, look, babe, uh, I accept anything. It's twenty twenty two, and I accept anyone that you bring over. As long as they're happy and they make you happy, right. that's all I care about. Don't ever be scared to bring somebody home. So had that, I felt like this huge elephant was off my back having that discussion with her, but I was like, oh, okay. Like, do you feel like she was able to? You don't have to say what she said, but do you feel like she was able to like open up with you? Yeah, she was like, she was like, because I told her you're going off to college, and you're gonna be living, you know, right. by yourself, and she was like, okay, dad. And that's kind of her response to everything. So I was like, oh, I don't know if she really <laughs> understood or not, but uh, either way, uh, I love you. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to have that conversation with your with no, your I teenage you. daughter. Yeah. yeah, I think that's important. I think we have to with our children at least, like and people in general. But tell them like, it's okay to come to me with anything. And I try. My kids are little, so I mean, I try to tell them now, like, hey, I want you to. My biggest thing I tell my wife is like, hey, I want them to be able to talk to me. Mm -hmm. 
about anything, even if it's bad, because there was a time for me where I was like, I didn't feel like I had that connection with my parents when like I could talk to them anymore. And I think that's important that no matter what's going on, that they can come talk to you, right? Like, I don't want to ever lose that relationship with them. So having that conversation with your daughter, I think is, I think it's really good. I think it's almost one of those things like my mom, my dad was alcoholic and, and he left early on in, our, in my life. So my mom raised me my whole life. And I don't know if I can have that conversation with my mom because I had a certain amount of respect for your parents and you don't want to like lose that. You don't want right. to, you don't want them to like lose respect for you by having an open conversation with them. So that was kind of like, that's what I was, that's what I feared when I talked to my daughter. I, I was like, I don't want her to think that she can't come to me. And I know I could be intimidating at times, but, she, but with her, I didn't want that. I didn't want her to think that at all. That was my fear. <laughs> Do you feel like you're intimidating and, and at work too? Do you think people are intimidated by you? I think so a lot. I think a lot. I mean, that's gotten me out of a lot of situations too, you know. There's been situations where, um, where, <laughs> I mean, at work where you're like, oh, yeah, that got hairy, you know. But I think it's because of my size and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, okay, I don't want to. Well, yeah, it's different there. if you show up and where I show up. Yeah. You're going to be like, uh, I don't want to mess with this guy. Yeah, and that's happened. And that's gotten me out of a few situations. But definitely, definitely. That's yeah. funny. So what's next? Like we're like so you're a sergeant now, and where are you? Like where do you see yourself going with this? Like you you talk about like you talking to younger guys and having these different relationships, but where do you see yourself? Like what do you want to do with your career? Yeah. So I mean, I'm nearing, your life? I'm, nearing, your life? I'm nearing the end of my career. So oh, really? um, I mean, I'm, I'm 46, so I could I could retire in, in four years, and I'm kind of in that in that waiting zone. You know, I see our department that we work for. Uh, going making strides in the, in the right direction but is it enough because the state of california is the big problem right right um, we can make all the strides we want as a department but ultimately if the whole state's jacked up and our county's jacked up it doesn't matter what our what our what our city does and and i but i but i do want to kind of see where all that that goes to to make my decision um i do know that i want to leave it a better place than i was there I know a lot of people don't don't uh, believe in that type of stuff, but like me, my uh, my fiance's son is applying for the department that we were for. All right, and um, because I saw the message come out, and I'm like, hey, if you know somebody, like have them. Like people don't want to be police officers at this at, and I and I get that part of it, but at the same time, I that's the reason why I wanted to be there. I like to be an FTO. That I, you know, everyone talks about my me being in the in the gang field. I'm going to be honest, me being an FTO was 10 times better than me being in the gang. Really? I loved being in the gang. It was what I loved. I had goals to be in homicide and all these things, but but uh, field training was was more important to me and and making sure that the future, and it sounds weird, it sounds corny, but I, I, I felt if I had an impact on the younger officers for the future of the department, that 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 was bigger than being in the gang unit. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, and, and I still to that today, I, I, t I take the younger officers along and I have a talk with them and, and I try to guide them in the right direction just because times are changing and they got to change with it. And, and I feel that uh, if I can impact the younger officers, that's probably my biggest goal. So I want to do a little bit of that before I call it quits. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> my fiance and I talk about it. We have dreams of, it's like I, I've never spent so much on an app on Zillow than my entire life. I look at like homes in like other parts of the country and I'm like dreaming of like farmhouses in Tennessee and property hunting, hunting properties in Texas. And I'm like, babe, what would this be so great? I could just sit there and shoot shit and That's you know, stuff like that. And so eventually, I mean, I want to do that stuff eventually, but I do have a, I do have offers to go work for the security company that I used to work for and manage uh, Coachella stagecoach uh, EDC, things like that, which I've done. Oh, that'd I, be really cool. Yeah. I don't know if I told you about this, but um, my collateral appointment, um, I run the stages at my well, used to, I don't, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but I ran the stages for a few years at Coachella and stagecoach. All right. Yeah. All the stages are like seven stages. So I ran them all a couple hundred people uh, managed them. And that's kind of my expertise outside of work is I, I, I'm an expert in uh, crowd manager as far as festivals are concerned. And um, 
that's something that I could do when I retire. And I plan on kind of doing when I retire, but I'm not sure if I want to completely dive into that yet. That's pretty cool though. So if you ever, if you were kicked out of stagecoach, it was PJ's fault. That's true. (laughs) And there's, there's been a few, Yeah, there's been a few on our our department that have been kicked out. I get that phone call because they all know that I work it. So they're like, Oh, PJ, I show up. I'm like, That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been doing that? You said before you were a police officer? Yeah, that, so I, I did that right out of high school. So I've been doing that since 94. Wow. Yeah, on and off since 94. And, and it didn't stop when I became a police officer. He always calls me, and he, my buddy, my best friends, uh, the general manager. Just, I told him, okay. So every year during the collateral employment time, I'm always filling out the information. I put their information. I'm like, okay, well, just give me a call whenever. Yeah. So, But I haven't done it lately, especially since I promoted it. I'm like, I don't really need to do that. So, <laughs> so I have I'm going to have to ask you for a job. Yeah, maybe. We'll that's see. Funny. But that's my goal in the, in the future. You know, and I, and I want to just go watch my daughter and, and play college softball and help her through college. Um, she's planning on majoring in uh, forensic science, so she's going to try to get into the field that way. All right. So that's kind of cool. So What does she, she want to do, like, uh, like CSI? CSI stuff? type stuff. Yeah. And it's funny when you talk to them, she, you're like, we're talking we're going over majors and the things they do she's like what does this one do i'm like oh that's like csi and she goes like the movie and i'm like yeah just like the movie she's like oh i want to do that i'm like okay it's like talking to teenagers <laughs> nowadays your reality like take yeah, her out yeah. and be like this is what it really looks like yeah it's kind of like that but not really <laughs> <That's funny>. yeah <laughs> well it's like the we talked about it today in squad it's like uh like the person that comes in and says i want to be a detective like they're they haven't applied for, they haven't applied yet to the police department. They want to be a detective. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, okay, let's just one step at a time. Yeah, or SWAT. Yeah. I want to do SWAT. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> like right away, huh? Let's, let's uh, see what we do. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's see. What but we're I, but you know, you bring that up, and I, it's, I went to super I went to supervisor school, and they t- we talked about like the generations now. When we started, we felt if we put in for things younger, we felt that. Um, we felt that it was almost disrespectful to the position if we put in like so early. And these freaking young fuckers, they they literally like year and a half on. It's like, what can I become a sergeant? It's like, oh, oh yeah, chill out, bro. Oh no, yeah, I have guys that are young. That one guy says like, oh, I'm gonna be a commander here, and I'm like, all right. And then like, I know guys, but the guys who apply, they apply for like different positions. Like you said, you mm-hmm. did different field teams, mm-hmm. and you're in the gang team, and they apply when they're really young, and they don't get it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So it's one time you didn't get a job. Like yeah. you, you just started. And I'm like, I was, I went, I applied for several jobs I didn't get. I'm like, and it took me several years to get, you know, anywhere in the department. So it's like, yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. You may be in patrol for several years. There's it's a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of people want to do it. I want to do other things. But honestly, like doing patrol now, like I don't, I don't think there's a job out there that I look at, even as a sergeant, I don't look at a job that I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. Like I, I enjoy patrol. Like yeah. I enjoy the people I work around. Um, and having those, having, having those relationships, because let's see, you go in, I mean, the gang field team has its own dynamics, mm-hmm. obviously, like you guys are close knit, but mm-hmm. when you go into any of these detective bureaus, like you're not, you're behind your desk. Yeah. You're not, I mean, you're no offense even, to anyone that's a detective. I'm going to be honest. When you get up there, it's like, you're not even a cop anymore. You're like, you're pushing paper. You're like, you're, you're. You don't even know, like, some of them come out of the detectives, and they're like, whoa, there's a culture shock for them. Oh, yeah. And that's why it happens like that. You there's forget what it's like, yeah. You totally forget. And and I don't want to discourage any young officers, because because uh, there was recently some officers, you know, you, you do evaluations on them, you talk about their future and stuff like that, and I told them, no, you should apply for these positions, because you do have to go through the process of going through an interview, like, none of them have never oh, done yeah. that before. So at least go through it, like, even in, like, try to go through the interview process so you know how to talk to people. I well, like it's that. the interview. It's like, you don't even know. So I don't think I really, in, I would, I'm going to say, I, I didn't interview well mm-hmm. until my sergeant interview. Yeah. It, and I maybe, maybe one before that, but like, I remember the interview process. Someone's like, Hey, you need to do this this way. And I'm like, how come no one has told me that I've always been more like answer short, like don't answer, you know, really expand. And, and now, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm in there for 30, yeah. 40 minutes. And, versus, that's what, and that's what I tell them. I tell them, you need to make them stop you yeah. when you're on an interview. Like, okay, like we could we could go we got on it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, got yeah. It, yeah. It's like it's like if they give you ten to fifteen minutes for something, you should take twenty. It's like one of those things. You should just keep diarrhea of the mouth, just keep talking. And you could talk about that for like any subject that's right. brought up. And I and I figured that out later on in my career. 
It probably took me like 20 years to figure that out. That's funny. <laughs> there was a couple that I would do is I would drive. I, would, I used to have a long commute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm telling myself a long commute, but I, uh, I would ask myself the same few questions in the car mm-hmm. and just talk yeah. out loud and record it. I recorded on my phone while I was driving and just talk to my, basically say it like as if someone asked me a question yeah. and then I would, I would literally to answer a question, it would be like 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be the exact question they asked, but I could take parts of that, que- that answer and apply it to any of the questions and yeah. it was able to really answer really anything. Oh yeah. And there's so many, like you, you mentioned being in patrol versus uh, going to the detective bureau. There's so many openings in all these, in all these other spots, but ultimately I, I like, I, I like the, it's weird. I like, being out in the field, I like, I like seeing the officers meet the public. I, I, I still like it. it. It hasn't turned me turned me off what's so bit. You know, there are political things that are going on in this world that that are look are against us are being in patrol. Right. But at the same time, it's kind of like, it's kind of like interesting to like weave your way around those 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 issues as well i think the biggest problem for me isn't like i like i think i said earlier on in the if you listen to the episodes i talk about the fact that like doing the job it's not a pro- i have no issue doing the job the actual like you know dealing with the public mm-hmm. um making arrests handling calls for service like you know all that stuff but it is the political climate so you take we, we're talking about this right now like taking someone to jail right now and then it, they're out the next day when you're like, we have a legit crime here, violent yeah. crime or whatever it is. And now they're back in the street. And I think the frustration comes with that. Like, okay, they're not going to back you yeah. politically to do your job. And this guy is out on the street after he just did something yeah. heinous. And you're like, what is, I don't understand and the then, imbalance. And then, and then officers kind of put their back to the law. Right. It makes right. them, it makes them feel like, Oh, well then I'm not going to do it if, if they do that. And that's what I'm trying, I'm trying to implore to everybody is you, you can't have that type of attitude. Just go about your business how you normally would go about your business, and then you let the courts kind of decide on what's going on. I understand they may be out by the time you finish writing your report, you know, hitting save on your report. They're already out in the streets. Right. But I, I get that part of it, but don't let that. We still have a we we still have a duty to to the citizens, the citizens that we work for in, in our county or in our city. Right. We, we I, I and I still believe in that. I still believe that you know, like uh, like. Like they, you go to calls nowadays. They're like, "Well, what's the crime?" Everyone always asks that. What's the crime? It's like, dude is walking around in the middle of the street with a knife. I don't care what the crime is. Don't you think that the citizens of whatever city we're in wants us to stop this guy? You like <laughs> the guy you tackled the other day? <laughs> yeah, I, I, we had that. We had that discussion, and I was like, "Guys, I get it. We want to. We want to have a, a, a good crime for things, but at the same time." If you were driving down the street and a person was waving a knife, whether or not there was a crime or not, wouldn't you, if you lived in that city, wouldn't you want your police officers or sheriffs or whoever they are to oh, do yeah. something about it? Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, so uh, that's what I tell them. I'm like, they're like, uh, yeah, I would. I was like, well, what's the difference between you wanting it done in your city versus you doing it for your job? Yeah, think and I think that, that there is a disconnect because a lot of, so a couple of things, a lot of people can't afford to live in this city, yeah. right? So they don't live in, in LA County. Um, they're out of the city. So it's, it's not, you don't have that ownership. You have ownership mm-hmm. of your, your job. Like obviously you want to do a good yeah. job, but you don't have the ownership of it's your city versus yeah. like if it's your house and something happening outside your house, whether you're at work or not, you're going to handle it. Like you're going to take care of business, right? Because it's, it's your, it's your house, right? You can get the guy off your property or whatever. Um, so I think there's that. And the other thing is I've noticed with that, do you think that that would change if like any city that you're in had programs to have their officers like a, like you remember they used to yeah. have the, the home at home officers next door program where yeah, yeah. where they lived in the city that, that they were And they got in. like some type of benefit some, for living. Yeah, there. don't you think that would kinda bring some kind of pride of pride of citizenship? I think in it would. I, I mean me personally. I mean you know? it's so expensive to live here. I mean I know no, we no, get yes. paid well, but it's yeah. so expensive to live in the city. But if we yeah, if there was a program to like to I don't know how it would be, like if it was a mortgage program or something, <laughs> I'm sure officers would take advantage of it. Yeah. And I'm sure that there would be an ownership of like, Hey, this is my city. And cause yes. your neighbors, like, like I lived in the city for a while and my neighbor would call me, like, Hey, yeah. there's this guy doing this. And I would, I would give him suggestions or like, Hey, yeah, you need a call. Yeah. Like please aren't going to do anything because yeah. I know, yeah. or hey, you need to handle it yourself or Hey, you need to call the police depending yeah. on the situation. But you know, he had, he liked having that contact and yeah. I'm sure neighbors would love to have that contact of like, Hey, what's going on in your neighborhood and how can I handle it? Yeah. 
but yeah, I don't know if, if that's if any cities do that. If you wanna, you can you can message me if you have a city that does yeah, it. No, I don't I, know. No, but you're absolutely right. You, if the most of the officers that work in any department, they don't usually live in the city, right? Time because of the cost and things like that. But you do have to have a pride of own. You you do have to think about like in the end. These are the citizens of whatever right. city you're in, and, and they're going to expect some kind of service from you. And I see officers all the time. I don't want to respond to that call. Well, then who is going to respond to that call? Yeah. Who do they call? They, they, they're still going to call somebody. I mean, somebody has to go out and handle that yeah. call. It was funny. I said this uh, the other day. I said there's two things that you're hired to do. You're hired to answer calls for service mm-hmm. and take police reports. Those yes. are the only two things you're technically hired to do. Yeah. The two things that police officers hate most answering calls for service yeah, and taking police exactly, reports. Exactly. I'm like, hey, that's all, that's what your job is. Like call me, Hey, what do you want me to do on this? I'm like, take a report take a report. Like, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, anyway. So one thing I wanted to say was that mm-hmm. there was uh recently, um, there was something that happened that I was like, you know what I've noticed because of the political climate, it's causing officers to take a step back and not do proactive police work, Yes, which we understand. And you understand there's a liability of trying to pr- be proactive. And then if, if something happens, Who's the are they going to back you? Yeah. Liability, mm-hmm. but the, there there are times where police. I think this is now trickling down to calls for service, mm-hmm. where you go to a call, like you said, you're like, well, I don't want to take a report or I want to do this. It's not it's not a real crime or whatever it is, yeah. and they don't take the action that they should be taking, yes. and they're cutting corners. And I think that we need to really be be weary of like if you see your partner or you see someone else that's cutting corners mm-hmm. to make sure that we're not cutting corners on this on anything because. It's that's also a liability, yeah. and you're going to end up getting yourself a in trouble and not doing service to the community. Yes. Need to make sure we're handling the call, you know, completely. Yeah, and that's why I think if you go into the into the um, with the right mind frame of helping the person that you're there for, you're not going to get in that. In the, if you, if you have the idea of of being pissed off or mad because of whatever situation, worried about liability and this type of things. If you're going to worry about those types, then you are going to get in trouble. You're going to get hurt, number right. one, because you're not going to do it physically the way you should be doing it. Or number two, you're going to get in trouble because you're not going to take the report or whatever. So I, I think if you go in there with the idea of trying to help, be safe about doing it, but going in there to help somebody, and then, you know, it, it, you know you, at the end of the day, sometimes they just want that report number. I know. And that would be Well, I mean, think about it. You someone, like, okay, so recently my grandfather's house got broken into, and I know what... I know what it means. Like my, he lived in the middle of nowhere. His house got broken into and um, no one was home. And now I, the police came and then they left and then now the lab's going to come out and take fingerprints. Okay. Let's be honest. They're never going to catch these people. It's yeah. middle of the night. They're not going to catch them. I, that's how I, I honestly believe that they're not going to catch them. Maybe by luck there's fingerprints somewhere and they catch them one day and they connect them to some other kind of burglary. But um, the thing is though, when my dad shows me the report number and I order the, the, the form and I don't see a report number on there, I tell him, Hey, look, I don't work for this agency, but I'm like, Hey, I don't see a report number. Like that's not a report number. That's a call number. I know the difference, but you need to make sure yeah. we get a report. We actual report was taken. Come to find out they, they do pull report numbers the at the ADV station though. later on. No, oh. they didn't ADV it. They pull report numbers at the station later on once oh, okay. they get in the computer system. It's just different than the way we do it, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that, but I'm going to make sure that we need we mm-hmm. get whatever we need because, you know, we my dad wants to know that, hey, something's being done and there's a report being taken. Not only that, the statistical part of it within the city, oh, whatever yeah. city you're in, the reporting district that you're in or whatever it is, that I mean, that's basically what any department, sheriffs or anything – that's what they go based upon is, right. is that's going to get you more policing in that area. That's right. going to get you, that's going to get you more services in your area, things like that. So when you advise off of it, you know, it's like, okay, it's like, it never happened. That call never happened. That robbery, that, that burglary never happened. Right. You know, things like that. Yeah, I know. It's, I think all of that's crazy. I, I just think that we just, I mean, I still feel this is really important. If, if the leadership is starts to take care of, um, and I mean leadership being like political, it doesn't matter, but mm-hmm. even like your direct supervisor, if we're taking care of each other, mm-hmm. however we can in your way of making sure that your people are taken care of and you, you enforce this idea of doing a good job. Like you want to do a good job. You're taking care of them in the field. You're doing, you're doing all your reports and managing them the way that you feel is right. Then they're going to want to do a good job. And eventually it's going to trickle down to the people who are being face to face with the community. Yeah. And they're going to want to treat people with respect and do a good job. I think if we treat people disrespectfully like if i treat you terribly and you work for me and then i send you out into the field mm-hmm. what are you going to do 
Like exactly. you're, are you going to be all, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder, go out and say, Oh, no one doesn't, no one cares about what I'm doing. He, or whatever, he treats me like crap. And then you're going to go treat another person like crap. Yeah. It's like the whole shit rolls downhill, right? Yeah. Like we're not going to, we need to take care of each other. Yeah. I think it will all like, I think that all kind of comes back to that. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. A lot of things need to be changed. Right. Yeah. Around here. Yeah. And, 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 and granted it's tough for any any department or to make those type of changes for it, especially with everything that's going on. You could only do so much. They have people to answer to, and I get that part of it. But at the same time, um, I think on our level, we have our subordinates that work for us, officers that work for us. I think that we could, we could take care of our, our members and, and, and kind of guide them in the right direction. And hopefully that is enough for at least that part of our city. Right. Right. You know, our, for that, for that time frame, that watch that city, while I'm there, I, I could try to make that difference. And um, hopefully that's enough. You know, that's all I could. That's all I have control over. That's all you have control over yeah, at yeah. the end of the day. You know, so. Yeah. All right. Well, this is good. This was. You enjoy it? Dude, I like it. I like your setup here. You want to come, awesome. come back on sometime? Definitely. We'll figure, we we'll figure something, something out. Talk yeah. about something. Yeah. So. We can talk about some stuff that happened. So I do want to ask before we like close this out. All right. So. Going back to, I know you talked a little bit, but going back to like mm-hmm. your situation with your daughter and yeah. like you put everything into work. So I know you said you, you wish you did it differently or yeah. you could have done it differently. Mm-hmm. So what do we, if someone's going through something at home and they find, find themselves in this position where they're now putting everything into work, yeah. um, how and what do you think you could offer, like you could do or to provide some type of advice to them? Yeah. Number one, I would I would say I I, I think that if I would have, found some kind of counseling, I think that that would have helped. I would have had some form of sit down like we are, sit on a coach, couch, lay down, however you want to say it. I think that that would have helped me. I didn't have that, and I think it was it was my uh, bravado of me being, I don't want to do that. Do I say something wrong? I don't, I don't want to sit there and say that I'm there's something wrong with me at the time, but I think that I could have used that. Um Ultimately, for me, it was my friends, my personal friends, um, and my now fiance that pulled me out of that type of thing, and my own daughter. At the end of the day, it was like, um, do I want to hurt myself, or do I want to do something bad and and go down this freaking this slippery slope down into like being crap? And and I still got to be strong for my daughter. Ultimately, looking her in the face and and being a strong role model for her was a big part of that. Like I would come home and I'd be like, I gotta be strong for her. I gotta I gotta pull myself out of that. And 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 not everyone's gonna be able to do kind of what I did on my own. And I, that's right. what I fear is that with like Chris or or with, with Goot or like or, or DC and stuff like that, if we could have if if they would have had that kind of out, outlet, I don't know if they were strong enough to kind of do do it the way I was. I as a, at a certain point in my life, I don't think I was strong enough to even get through that. I had I needed that help. And luckily, there were people in my life that helped me with that, you know. So uh, I, I I would suggest trying to, as as people, listeners, and you and myself, is try to be that person for somebody else. Um, and and if you are going through those type of problems, don't be scared to f- reach out. Reach out to friends. Reach out to supervisors. Reach out to family members. Reach out to counseling. Whatever you could do. And uh, like like I told you before, the department did a great job of reacting once it happened, right. but but they didn't really do anything in that time in between, you know. And is that their fault? I don't know if it's hundred percent their fault. I, I take partial blame on that because I didn't do anything as well. Like I didn't personally try to reach out, but I don't remember any kind of sort of resources for me to go through except for Dr. Klein, right. you know, or, or something like that, or any kind of shrink that is it has to do with any kind of department. Right. You know, I just don't know if that, but now I'm starting to see that, unfortunately, these steps, these, these, these bad situations that happened on our department and other departments, um, now the departments are starting to react to it and offer those things. And I didn't have those going up, but I would say that any officers that are there to use those programs now that are in place, definitely 100%. So. Well, I appreciate that. And I really do. I appreciate you coming on and I, I want to do this again. Yeah. Um, we'll figure out something else to talk about. I'm sure we can yeah. talk about a lot of stuff, whatever. Yeah. We'll just think of top we'll of the we'll, 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 when I get closer to retirement, we could talk about some of the uh, right. cool things that I did when I was in these other units. 
That's for another time. <laughs> All right, that yeah. sounds good. By the way, I was told this already before you came on, but they said you have a great voice for radio. So oh, really? everyone that's listening is going to be really happy that you're on. They're going to think like I'm like some deep voice. They're like, going to want me to, me to be Halo. replaced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this whole setup though. It's great. Yeah, it. it's kind of fun. Yeah. I yeah, uh, like my buddy, uh, my buddy Seth has the same setup, so we used it on episode two, and then, um, yeah, it just like great. it's kind of cool. Got the different sounds like and it. stuff. All right. All right, we're going to close it out. Um, for those of you who are watching, uh, we'll put this on YouTube. And then uh, for listening, on obviously on Apple or Spotify. Cheers to the whiskey. Oh, we're yeah. grabbing a cup our together. Cup, our cup together. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. And then um, if uh, we talk about the reaching out. So if you are interested in, I created those business cards, which are the Let's Grab a Cup business cards. And on the back, it's basically, I don't have one with me right in front of me right now. But basically on the back, it says that you trust the person that you're handing that card to and that you're asking them to trust you. And you're re- willing to hold space for them and take time to listen to them, have these conversations, whatever, wherever it may go. You know, like we, I didn't know, I knew some of PJ's story today, but I really didn't know where it was going to go. And I really just enjoy kind of diving in and like kind of exploring what, exploring that and giving you this opportunity and giving other people this opportunity. So if you want to get those cards, you can get the PDF off of my website, which is sturgeonwellness.com. You can find um, all the links to the episodes there as far as YouTube and um, the podcast links. And yeah, anything uh, coaching related, look at uh, my website. You can find me at AP underscore Sturgeon and at Let's Grab a Cup on Instagram. Um, anything you want to plug for for your stuff going forward? You want to get somebody to hire you for a Coachella or? No, I, I got I got that all set up. <laughs> don't right. don't hit me up for tickets. If you I want, if that. you want a job working for Coachella or something, definitely after I retire, I will be hiring a lot of uh, police officers to help me out. So I'll be looking you yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. All right, all right, man. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.